Well, it's good to be here today, all you non-campers. And uh, I bet they're having a good time over there in 100-degree weather and uh, camping out at Tadmore. That's not really camping. You ever been to Tadmore? Yeah, that's not true camping, actually. But they're having a great time, and I'm glad to be able to fill in. I always feel like the guy who kind of mops up in the ninth. Hey, Dad, can you come and help us out? We're all going to be gone. Hey, great. That's the way I like it. Anyway, how many of you uh, would say you live by the motto that seeing is believing? Seeing is believing. Anybody live by that? Anybody here from Missouri? I can't see. So, <laughs> The Missouri state motto is what? The show me state. I actually did some research on that and found out that it can be traced back to an 1899 speech by Congressman Willard Vandeveer, who basically said, frothy eloquence neither convinces nor satisfies me. I am from Missouri. You have to show me. That's what he said. I had a student that was in one of my middle school youth groups that played on his middle school football team, and he, he was a place kicker. And he'd come to youth group, and he would say, hey, I, I can kick a 40-yard field goal. And he just wouldn't let it go. Every week, I can kick a 40-yard field goal. So finally, I just couldn't take anymore. I said, show me. We had a ball, so we took him down to the football field. He could kick it from 30 which was farther than I thought he could kick it. But he couldn't kick it from 40. He didn't say it after that. He didn't come to youth group and say anymore, hey, I can kick a 50-yard field goal. Yeah, right. But that's the way it is sometimes. You know, we, all of us are that kind of way. People tell us one thing, but we want to see it. We want to see if it's really true. This morning, I want to continue in the series that Pastor Ken started through the Gospel of John. And we're going to be looking at a group of people that you could say this would be true of them, seeing was not believing. Seeing was not believing. A couple of months ago in the NBA Finals, I thought it was really funny what happened. It took place between the Los Angeles Lakers and the Orlando Magic. Before the game started, as uh, players and coaches were going into the arena, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was stopped by the security guard. And basically the security guard said this, said, what's your name? And he goes, I'm Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And she wouldn't let him in. Now I'm thinking, don't you know who Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is? He's 7'2". He's the NBA all-time leading scorer. Hall of Fame legend. He's not like the average guy you might see trying to sneak through security. You're in a basketball arena and you have a 7'2 guy walking through and you're basically questioning who he is. I thought it was hilarious. She actually took the wand and went over him, which I thought would be hilarious. This guy's 7'2". You'd have to use a chair. One time I was at Promise Keepers in Boise, Idaho, and my son Kip, all of you know him, he's my size. I'm actually a little taller than him. And we were at Promise Keepers, and I look back, and I see Mark Eaton of the Utah Jazz. Let me remember Mark Eaton. He's 7'4". He's like behind us, and you could definitely see him because he's a giant. So I go, hey, Kip, come on. So during worship, right, he's worshiping, we sneak back. And we go and we stand behind him, and seriously, I could have walked through his legs. That's how tall he was. He wouldn't even have known that I was there. So here's this lady. Think about it. You're Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You're seven feet two, NBA all-time leading scorer, assistant coach for the Los Angeles Lakers. And the person said, I need more evidence for you to prove who you are. In other words, seeing was not believing. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, I'd like you to look with me in John chapter 10. 
John chapter 10, we want to look at verses 22 through 42. John chapter 10. Here we find Jesus during the Feast of Dedication, which we know today as Hanukkah. It's an interesting feast because because it started to take place in 170 B.C., when Israel basically defeated the Syrian king Antiochus Epiphanes, who, if you know him, know what he did. He took a a pig and offered it on the the, uh, altar in the temple. And so they finally won this revolt against him. He was removed, and they started this feast called the Feast of Dedication, also known as the Feast of Lights, and today we call it Hanukkah. So Jesus is in the temple area, and he's walking around in this place called Solomon's Colonnade. It's like a porch area. It has a covering over the top to protect you from the sun and also from the rain. John tells us it's during the wintertime, so maybe it was cold. Maybe it was the rain that they were being protected from. Jesus is in there. His ministry has gone for three years, and he's a very popular person. Always had a following. And the Jews around him were basically asking him a very important question. In verse 24, notice what they said. How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, if you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. In other words, they say, hey, Jesus, straight up, just tell us you're God. Tell us you're the Messiah. Just tell us. We want to know. Jesus' answer is classic. It's a great answer. He basically says this to him. He says, my miracles are my message. If you want to know if I'm the Messiah or not, check out, think through my miracles. Look what he said in verse 25. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not listen. You do not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me. In other words, Jesus says, the miracles I do, they speak for me. My miracles, my actions are my message. They are my words. My actions speak louder than words. Think of all the miracles that Jesus has done to this point in time that they either experienced or they've heard about. Turning the water into wine, feeding 5,000, healing people, blind people, people that were blind from birth. It goes on and on and on and on. All of the miracles that he's done. And these people knew about probably most of them, and yet they didn't believe. It's a great example here of the power of unbelief. The power that still resides upon the world today. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 4. He said, If even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel. In other words, Jesus' miracles were in plain sight, and yet they wouldn't believe. It was Jack Buck, the great sports announcer, who during the 1988 World Series... When Kurt Gibson, if you remember that, limped off the bench, got to the plate, and on two strikes that he looked terrible, hit a home run to win the game for the Dodgers. And Jack Buck made the famous call when he said this, I don't believe what I just saw. Remember that? I don't believe what I just saw. That summed up the believers in Jesus' day. They didn't believe what they had just seen. You know, think about it. In a group like ours this morning that's here today, people can come in, they can hear the message. And some people here might say to themselves, you know something, it just really upsets me anytime I hear someone talk about Christianity. Somebody else might think, you know, Christians are all hypocrites. Somebody else might think something like, hey, you know, Christianity is a crutch for people who are weak. Other people might say, boy, that's exactly what I need. 
I need total forgiveness of all of my sin. I need to know that if I die, I'm going to spend eternity with God in heaven. I need to know that my life has purpose, and I'm here to serve God and glorify Him forever. In other words, the message is different for different people. Paul wrote it this way. He said this, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are believed, it's the power of God. You know, for some people, it's foolishness. Christianity is just foolishness to them. To other people, it's the power of God, the power to change their life. And so in Jesus' day, there was a problem. You might say, Houston, we have a problem. And the problem was these people would not believe. Even though they'd seen all of these miracles, yet they were unbelievers. So Jesus is going to tell them, guess what? There's a difference between you and my sheep. There's a difference. Other people have heard the same teachings, but they believe. You say, what's the difference? Look at verse 26. He says, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. And so he's going to basically say this to them. It's great. I love the next couple of verses. He's going to say, hey, my sheep, they're different. They're different. And I'm going to tell you why. And what's exciting here, he's talking about us. He's talking about those of us who've come to faith. Jesus is like, you ever met grandparents? Kathy and I are grandparents. We have two grandchildren. You ever met grandparents who want to talk about their grandkids? Who've got pictures? You ever met that? I've got pictures. And you know you're in for it for 20, 30 minutes about how great their grandparents is. The only thing that's maybe funnier is reading people's Christmas letters about how great their kids were this last year. I love those. Jimmy finally hit the ball during T-ball. He was so excited he ran to the wrong base. But that's okay. I'm sure he's got major league talent now. I mean, people love to talk about their kids. So the picture here is Jesus. I can just see it. He's taken out his wallet. He's saying, let me tell you about my sheep. Let me tell you about my kids. I'm going to tell you what they're like. And I want you to notice what he says. He starts off verse 27. He says, my sheep, they listen to me. He said, they listen to my voice. I mean, as a kid, remember, you're outside playing, you're down in the neighborhood, and you hear your mom yell like, Kelly, dinner! No matter how much chaos is going on, you can hear that voice. And you know your mom, so you know, well, I don't want to leave yet. And then you hear, Kelly, I said it's dinner. And you know, maybe you got one more chance. You just kind of know how the voice, you know what's going on. And Jesus says here, guess what? My sheep, they hear my voice. Jesus is saying, hey, my sheep know me when I talk to them. My wife, Kathy, this last week, Actually, the week before, was in an automobile accident. And uh, we have a little Mazda Miati, a 90 Miati. And she was driving up Reed Market. And this elderly lady, I'll just put it that way, was in a 92 Cadillac Seville four-door. Miati versus a tank. And she pulled out right in front of Kathy. And Kathy just went like, look this way, car's coming. Look this way, I don't know what I'm doing. Put her hand on our little dog. <laughs> held him in place, and hit the brake, <coughs> smashed the side of the sleeve, pulled right out in front of her. And the airbag, Kathy, bounced, it's an older car that's supposed to have an airbag, right? Her face hit the steering column, then the airbag went off. Boom! Not the way it was designed. And then the airbag's like that big. Not the big airbags you see today. So her face is just all, you know, swollen and all this. And this couple that lived right there on the corner, they come out. 
And they give her a towel on her face. And they get a hold of our dog. And they took care of our dog and all of this. And, you know, they call my, you know, the cell phone to tell me what was going on and all of this. And I say that to say this. Friday night we're driving and Kathy just says to me, I need to do something for those people. I just feel I need to do something. I said, well, you better do it. So she did. She went and bought them a gift. Went over to their house. Said, hey, you remember me? I'm, my face looks a little different now. <laughs> no. She looked like bad Botox. I mean, we were laughing about that. Like Botox gone wild. Just, you know, you know. But it was, seriously, in one day, she was swollen up. She had these scabs. And one day, she was like, hey, look at yourself in the mirror. She was normal. It was a healing. That's what I thought. But she felt God telling her, what? You need to say thank you. You need to go and tell those people you're thankful. And as I thought about that, I thought about the 10 lepers. Remember, Jesus heals 10 lepers. They all get healed. One guy does what? He goes back and he says, hey, thanks. Thanks for healing me. So Kathy just felt God's voice saying, hey, you know something? You know, you know that feeling you get on the inside? That just, you feel like you need to do something? You just need to do it when God speaks. He says, hey, my sheep, they hear my voice. Our daughter Katie, you know Kip and you know Kim. Kim's the oldest, Kip's the youngest. In between is Katie. She's the one that has the two kids. She lives in Phoenix, her and her husband. They met in YWAM, Youth with a Mission. And Katie went to Russia. And as she was going to Russia, she raised all her money to go. And she had some spending money. And she goes to the discipleship training thing they were involved in. She was smart. She went to Hawaii for the discipleship training and went to Russia in the winter. I'm not sure how that works. But anyway, she's in the discipleship training. We're talking to her on the phone, and she says, Hey, Mom, Dad, some people in my group, they don't have enough money to go, and they have to have the money by this particular time. So she goes, I gave them all my spending money. We go, What? She goes, I gave them all my spending money. So we said, Okay, okay. So we scrounge some money together. We send it to her. So like a week later, we're talking to her again. You got to know Katie. She goes, Mom, Dad, they didn't have enough money. So I gave them that money too. And since I don't have the gift of giving, I don't understand that. I'm frustrated. And I'm going like, Katie, what are you doing? And then she says this, Mom, Dad, God told me. Okay, we're done. When your kids say God told me, you can't argue with that. Good, Katie, I'm glad you're listening to the voice of the Lord when he speaks in your life. And so Jesus says, hey, my, my sheep, my kids, they listen to me. Look what else he says. He said, my sheep have no secrets. He said, I know them. He said, how much does he really know about me? Well, Psalm 98 is great. He says, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. In other words, he knows everything there is about us. He knows all about his sheep. He goes, I know them. I know them up close and personal. You know what's exciting about that? When we confess our sins to the Lord, it never shocks him. He already knows. He already knows about it. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 30, he even knows how many hairs are on your head. For some of you, it's not hard. No offense. For others, you know, they have a lot. It doesn't, he knows it all. Everything about you, he knows. Think about that. I work at a school where kids come in, and at this school, they have to write an amends letter to their parents. And we also call it a dirt list. In other words, they have to write this letter that basically tells their parents all the things that they had done that they can remember, and they, don't have a, they always have a bad memory. All the things that they've done that their parents don't know about. And they get nervous. 
And, and they, I don't know, man. I go, just tell the whole, just tell it all. Get it all on the table. Get it all over with. Oh, man. I don't know. I go, hey, what's the worst that could happen? They could send you to a boarding school out in Sisters, Oregon. You're already there. Just tell them and get it over with. And so they write this immense letter. Can you imagine when Jesus said, hey, my sheep, they hear my voice, I know them. He knows you. He knows me. He knows all about us. He knows everything there is to know. He knows every thought that comes into our head. And he loves us. And, he's, and this verse speaks of relationship. I know them. I have a personal relationship with them. You know, when you tell people Christianity is not religion, it's a relationship, they have a hard time understanding what that means. Unless they've had a personal relationship with them. And that's what he's talking about here. He says, I know them. Look what else he says about his sheep. He says, my sheep, they listen to me. We have no secrets. Then he says, they follow me. Where the shepherd leads, the sheep will follow. I found this story that Barbara Walters of Television's 2020 did a story on the gender roles in Kabul, Afghanistan, several years before the Afghan conflict. She noted that the women customarily followed their husbands, and they walked five paces behind them. So she recently returned to Kabul and, and observed that the women still walked behind their husbands. Walter's vantage point, despite the overthrow of the abusive Talib, uh, Taliban regime, the woman even walked farther back behind their husbands and seemed happier to maintain this old custom. So Walters approached one of the Afghani women and asked, why do you continue with an old custom that you once tried so desperately to change? The woman looked Walter straight in the eyes and without hesitation said, landmines. <laughs> Classic. What a great answer. You know, listen, if we follow him, he leads us around the landmines. If we do what he wants us to do, he takes care of that. And there's times we don't. There's times we're not following well. And we actually step on a landmine and we blow up. And guess what? He puts us back together again. And so he says, hey, my sheep, they follow me. There's a classic game that youth groups used to play, and maybe they still do, called Follow the Leader. You ever played that game? You basically say you have 10 people or 11 people, and you have one person who kind of goes in a room and they can't hear what's going on, and the 10 people, they pick one person to be the leader. And they get in a circle, and the one person who's the leader, he basically will do something, like he might scratch his head. If he scratches his head, everybody else scratches his head. Well, they bring the one person out who doesn't know who the leader is, and his job is to guess, he stands in the middle of the circle, who the leader is. So, you know, everybody starts scratching, he's looking around, he's trying to see who does it first. Who's the leader? That's the object of the game. Imagine today in Christianity, somebody playing the game, follow the leader, and the leader's Jesus. And they're in the middle trying to figure out who's really following Jesus. And they look over and they see one group and they're protesting. And they got signs. And they're angry. And they're mad. And maybe their sign says, turn or burn. And they're, they're just into it. He looks at, at another group. And, and they're basically, you know, in their jet airplane with all the people who donated money on the side. And they're living in mansions. And they're flying around saying, hey, follow me, follow Jesus. You'll be totally prosperous, wealthy, rich. Then you look at another group. 
And, and this group is like a political action group. And they're saying, you got to vote this way, and you got to vote this person, and you got to vote this person out, and you got to stand against this. And then they look at another group, and they're building some houses through Habitat for Humanity. That just came to me today. I don't know how that came to my mind, but they're working there, trying to help somebody who really needs help. And my question to you, who's following Jesus? Who's following the leader? My sheep hear my voice, and what? They follow me. Who's following him? As far as I could tell in Scripture, Jesus really wasn't much of a protester. His greatest protest is when he got angry and threw the tables over in the temple with the money. That would be the end of the protest. As far as I can tell, he he didn't live a prosperous life. Even though he was God, he could have spoken and could have created anything. And neither did any of of his disciples. They weren't in it for the money. Matter of fact, when he died, all that he had left, what, was a robe that they casted lots for. As far as I can tell, when it came to politics, all he ever said about politics was what? Pay Caesar what? His taxes. That's his political ambition. But when it comes to helping people who are in need, and coming, bringing food to the sick, helping your neighbor, to me, that's following Jesus. So my question today for you to think through is, hey, who are you following today? Are you really following him? As you study through the Gospels, you see what he was like. The things that he thought was important. How he spent his time. Jesus said, hey, my sheep, they follow me. Fourthly, he says, hey, my sheep have life. He says, I give them eternal life. Remember, eternal life cannot be earned. It's a gift. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's the gift that keeps on giving. God gives to us eternal life. Eternity with him. A life spent in the presence of God for all of eternity. That's what his sheep have. That's his promise. Jesus in the high priestly prayer in John 17, if in a couple months, Ken will get there. And in John 17, 3, Jesus says this to his father. He says, this is eternal life. That they may know you, the father. And the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. What's eternity going to be like? It's going to be getting to know God and his son, Jesus Christ. Spending all of eternity with him. People say, I'm going to get bored in eternity. I get bored now. Some of you are bored this morning. It's okay. It's a sin, but it's okay. But think about it. People go, I'm going to get bored in in eternity. You know what I thought? My favorite verse about heaven is this. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man all the things that God has prepared for those who love him. I don't know about you, a God who could speak and create the world, this can be fun hanging out with him for eternity. He is going to boggle our mind with his greatness. We can't even imagine how exciting it will be to spend eternity with him. He says, hey, my sheep have eternal life. Fifthly, it's great what he says. My sheep have security. Look what he says there. Verse 28. They will never perish. No one can snatch him out of my hand. And if that's not great enough, look at verse 29. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. All state has the insurance, has the motto. Wow, you're in good hands with all state. I'm just going to say that you're in better hands with God. And the picture here, Jesus says, here you are. 
You're in his hand. And then he says, guess what? Not only are you in my hand, but then you're in my father's hand. That's the security you have in him when you're his sheep. Romans 8.38 says, nothing can separate us from God's love. And Paul says, life or death, angels or demons, the present or the future, no powers, height nor depth, nothing else in all of creation can separate us from God's love. Nothing can. I've heard people say this, and it always cracks me up. They say, well, guess why? Oh, they can't take you out, but you can jump out. How big is God's hand? How high can you jump? If you're white, you can't jump very high. I'm telling you right now, when you get my age, it gets, you know, my vertical is like one half inch. But people want to be able to jump out, and God says, guess what? You are in me forever if you're a believer. I will hold you in my hand. I will not let you go. You're secure in me. What a promise. He closes in verse 30. He says this, I and the Father are one. The Greek here is not one person. He's not saying I and the Father are the same. The idea here is they're one in essence. In other words, Jesus is speaking of the Trinity. He says, I and the Father are both God. We're one in essence. He is the Father. I am the Son. But we're one in divinity, is what he's saying. Well, you can imagine, what a great, what a great little sermon right there. The reaction of these people is classic, verse 31. They say, Jesus, you're right. We totally missed who you are. We totally missed the purpose of your miracles. We believe now. Is that what they said? No, John says this. The Jews picked up stones to stone him. They picked up the rocks, and they were going to stone him to death. And again, Jesus goes back, and he says, hey, my miracles are my message. And he goes on and talks about, hey, You guys are spiritually blind. You cannot see the miracles I've done prove to you that I'm God. Only God could do what I have done. And he over and over and over emphasizes that. But they totally missed that fact. It gets better, too. I love chapter 11. That I'm in chapter 11, that's not good. If you know what I mean. But next week, Ken will talk about Lazarus. And if you don't believe, like, the water to wine, or feeding 5,000 people, or healing a blind guy that's been blind from birth. How about somebody who's been dead for three days, and you bring him back? Now, if you hear about that, wouldn't that make you believe? I mean, wouldn't that make you believe? I mean, my heart doctor, Dr. Widmer, anyone have him as your doctor? I can't see. Okay. Is he here? Good. I mean, not good. I wish he was here, but... Anyway, Widmer's great. He's my heart doctor. Remember, like, two years ago, the little kid that drowned in the Deschutes River, and he's floating down the river, and these people grabbed him and pulled him out, and one was a doctor, and he gave him CPR and brought him back. Remember that story? How many remember that story? That's my doctor. That's Widmer. And I saw him, like, three weeks after that, and I was so excited to talk to him. He said, Doc, I just want you to know one thing. It's great to know you can bring him back. Don't you think? Aren't you glad your doctor can bring people back? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Here's Jesus bringing Lazarus back, and even with that, they wouldn't believe. Verse 38, look what he says. But if I do it, even though you do not believe, believe the miracles that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Their reaction, verse 39, again they tried to seize him, 
but he escaped their grasp. In other words, he said, look at all that I've done. Does that not prove to you who I am? I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. I am God in the flesh. All they wanted him to do was basically to say he was God so they had motive to kill him. So this morning we've looked at, we've answered the question, are you the Messiah? Jesus said, hey, my, my message is, or my miracles. Then he says, hey, my sheep are diff- different. They listen to me. They have no secrets. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They have security. But I want you to notice one last thing. Verses 40 through 42. There's a great little part in there that a lot of times we forget. Jesus leaves this group that would not believe, who in a couple of months will be saying to Pilate, away with him, crucify him, crucify him. The same group of people. He crosses the Jordan River, and he meets people who had followed John the Baptist. And John writes this, and in that place, many people believed in Jesus. In other words, he crosses over to this place where John the Baptist had had his ministry And those people who John administered to saying, hey, there's going to come somebody who I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. That person's coming. He paved the way for the Messiah. Those people believed. And it's a very important point here that John makes this note. He says this, that John had done no miracles. He hadn't done any miracles at all. He had just told them the truth about Jesus. And they had believed. Hey, listen, all we have to do today is tell people the truth about who Jesus is. Just tell them the truth. Tell them that, hey, Jesus Christ is God who became a man, who died on the cross for our sins. He rose again on the third day. And through faith, and faith alone in him, and his finished work, what he did for you on the cross when he died in your place, by simple belief, you can have eternal life and total forgiveness of all your sins. That is the gospel. We don't need to do miracles. We don't need to do all these other things that what distract from who he is. Get the eyes off of us and on him. Just tell people who he is. That's all John did. John the Baptist did not do one miracle. And people believe. Let's bow our heads. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning. If you're here today and you know him, just thank him for all that he's done for you. Thank you that he is the good shepherd. Praise him this morning for how much he loves you. He knows all of us so well, and yet he loves us so much. He leads us. He gives to us eternal life. He gives us a security that we have that's so unbelievable that he's going to keep us to the very end. And as he said, he will not lose any of us who's been given to him by the Father. Maybe you're here today and you just realize, boy, I need to know this person, Jesus Christ. I have a need in my life. I need to be forgiven. I need purpose. And I realize that only he can give. You can know him. You can know him in a personal way. All you need to do is contact somebody here at at, uh, Antioch Church. And they'll help you out. They'll show you how you can have a personal relationship with him. Father God, I thank you today for your word. I thank you for all the things that you've done. Lord Jesus, I praise you for how much you love us. You have our picture in your wallet. 
You think about us all the time. You do so many things for us that we don't even understand and so often take for granted. We just want to praise you and thank you for a personal relationship we can have with you. And Father, I want to thank you that today you still draw people to yourself through the power of your Son, the power of the cross. Thank you for those that attend this church, those who've come to faith through a through a relationship with you here at Antioch. Pray that you would allow them to continue to reach other people for you in the Bend community. Thank you for those that are at family camp having a great time together. Just pray that you would bless them and keep them safe. Thank you for everyone here today. Lord, we praise you. We thank you that you are the good shepherd and you laid down your life for the sheep. In your name, amen.